Gritov. So today's daf is Kufiyud Gimel. We started in the middle of Kufiyud Betamut Bet. Um, the Gemara had been dealing with issues about uh, when you can, um, because there was a whole question about somebody who died and left the Gzela over in front of his children, and are they are Gedolim or Ketanim, and can you have a judgment against Ketanim because it's as if the Baldin isn't present, led the Gemara to hold discussion about Makabal and Edus Shalobis Nei Baldin, um, and under what circumstances can you, um, and a sort of set of collection of circumstances about if the person, either there's an urgency, the witnesses are leaving, or they're ill, or whatever, um, and you've uh, called the person, and he refuses to show up to court. So there's a, pro- a very important question that Tosos has about whether those are, you need both of those conditions or only one of them. Let's say somebody is being, you know, summoned to court and he refuses to show up, but you don't have that other urgency. Um, so the Gemara sort of sounds at certain places that that's enough to go ahead with the case, but at other places it sounds like you need that combined with an urgency. But anyway, so you went, you're going ahead with the case, and then the Gemara also has a question about can you do Kiyom HaShtar? Since the Shtar is already signed, maybe it's not like a Kabbalist Eidos accepting testimony not in the person's presence because the need to sort of verify validate the signatures is only rabbinic so maybe you can go ahead even um, without the uh, you know without the person being present um, so that was questions about Makabalin Edus Shilobi Baldin okay but now we're going to pick up with um, uh, let's take a look um Okay, uh, so let's sort of take a look with Amarava. I mean, we'll, we'll go back a little bit, but just to get the gist of it, four lines before the lines get wide. Amarava, Hilchasim and Kaimun Hashtar Shalobi Sneibaldin. So even if the guy isn't around, we can do Kim Hashtar. Vafilu Omid Vitzoveach, and even and even if the guy is saying it's a forgery, okay, which is uh, you know unless he brings some evidence to that fact, we would be Makaimus Hashtar. The Amar, so no, we're no longer in the Shalobi Sneibaldin issue. We're just like even under those circumstances. Circumstances. If he says, wait, I need some time, I'll bring witnesses to prove that the star is a forgery. So then we give him some time. If he is able to produce the witnesses, good. Or if he comes to, shows up to court, he comes. Um, um, and if not, we wait because the court meets on Mondays and Thursdays. So we Monday, Thursday, and Monday. Um, and if at that state he hasn't shown up, then we, even though he's claiming it's a forgery, we proceed with the case. And Kasvina Pticha Iluye. So, and we write a, like a judgment against him, essentially. Rashi says that the Shamta puts him in Cherem because he's not uh, paying up his debt. Okay? Tishin um, Yomen, for 90 days. Closing to, uh, that we give him 90 days, now we put him in, uh, we put a Shamta on him because he's not, and we give him 90 days before we actually take action on it. Tlosin the first 30 days we don't actually go and seize his property. So now there's more be g- generic about somebody who has a judgment against him and what, when do we wait for him to actually pay up and at what stage do we go ahead and take action so we give him 90 days so the first 30 days we don't seize his property um, the days if he's trying to borrow the money we'd rather he be able to you know we'd not have to seize his uh, you know his car and his house and whatever so we want to give him an opportunity to borrow the money the middle 30 days we also don't, don't seize the property even though we gave him time to borrow the money. Because maybe, okay, he can't borrow money, but we want to let him, give him the opportunity to sell his property, and he can, you know, make, get a better deal than if we were to seize the property. So we want to give him, you know, that, uh, you know, that accommodation. But the last 30 days, we also don't. Why? We gave him time to sell his property. Yeah, maybe he's got a potential buyer. Now the buyer has to get the money, has to borrow the money in order 
order to buy the property. So we give him this time in order so that even so that he can get like the best deal out of it. You know, out of he doesn't have to lose the maximum amount. Um, but if after that amount of time, Loas he doesn't come then we write a judgment against his property to seize his property, um, and we're just going to seize it and you know collect it. The honey mealy the amari the amar. Asina. That's all that he says that, okay, I'm, I'm trying to collect the money. Then we give him these 90 days. He says, I reject your whole judgment. Then we don't give him any allowance. And then we just seize the property right away. I'm going to come. Meaning I'm going to... Even for the Baham process, it's like if, not, if he says, I'm going to participate in the case, right? I'm going to come. Um, right. Um, oh, you mean we're going back to the guy who's refusing to show, uh, who's saying he's going to come to court? Yeah. I don't think so, because if you take a look, all the words of Asa here, I don't think we're anymore in the case of Shalobi Sneibaldin, right? My Sina Sahadi, I Asa Asa, Ilo Asa, Ilo Asa Kasvina Nalatishin Yomin, right? Um, so you're reading the low Asa, meaning that he's just like refusing to come to court, but it doesn't sound that way. It sounds like he's, uh, May, I mean, I, I hear it. I, you're right. I mean, maybe it means like he's claiming that he's trying to produce witnesses. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, but the 90 days is not... It's after we've decided he's not producing witnesses. We're giving him... So you mean that if he says he's not going to come, we don't wait the Bahab. Oh, okay. So we're not in the 90 days. No, that could be. Okay, you're right. Because the Asa phrase before was about waiting the Bahab. Okay, I, I accept that. Okay, Vahani Mili, so that idea that you wait the Bahab when we're trying to be Mekhaim the star, Damar Asina, because he says, give me time that I want to come and I want to produce witnesses. Okay, I think that's correct. Amar Lo Asina, if he sort of rejects the whole proceedings, then Kasvinan, then we would go ahead and issue a judgment against him right away. Right, we might still give him the 90 days, but we don't wait the Bahab before issuing the judgment against him. Yes, I think that's correct. Okay. Vahani Mili Bibmilza. Now, all of that is when there's a judgment against him. I see what your question was, because you're reading it still in the context of here about the person who's refusing to show up. So is there a star on a Picardon? Um Yeah, I read it differently. I read it that, it, that this case is, is, that, um, is that if it's a loan, then he has to collect the money. But if it's a, you know, and maybe he has to produce the money, but if it's a Picardon, then, well, and he's not producing the Picardon, then it's not like he had a right to spend the money so we don't give him as much allowance to collect the money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but, right. Um, um, right, because here the Kasvinan is clearly, it's, you're right, it's ambiguous. Is the Kasvinan the Shamta or is the Kasvinan the actual collecting? It seems to me here when we're moving to the Milvan the Picardon, we're definitely at the stage here of the collecting. Like, we give you time to put together the money for a loan because you had a right to spend the money. But for a Picardon, we don't give you time and we seize by right away. And then it's sort of saying, and what type of things do we seize? We're going to seize Karka. But for Metaltolin, we're not. Why are we not going to seize Metaltolin? I mean, we seem the easier thing to do is to seize Metaltolin in payment of the debt. Because, Dilma, what's going to happen? This guy is still claiming that he can go ahead and prove that the star was a forgery. So, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to take his property, um, his Metaltolin. Now, Dilma, Shamit Vachiluhu Miovalu Metaltolin. So the, so the, uh, the creditor is now going to go ahead and we've uh, he's going to consume this property that we've now seized on his behalf 
because it's metatalin, he'll take it somewhere, he'll take your car, he'll sell it, whatever he'll do with it. But he also lova and then when the lova ultimately is able to produce the witnesses that he claims that he has, then he's not going to be able to get his money back from the malva. So we want any collection in the particular circumstances. It doesn't seem like in all cases. This is in cases where the guy is claiming he has witnesses and he has yet to be able to produce it, which is very interesting. So that allows, so that therefore we're going to have a little bit of a, you know, of a pay attention to that, have a little bit of, we want to be able to reverse it if necessary, because just because he hasn't produced it now doesn't mean he won't produce it. So therefore, when we seize the property, we want it to be able to be that if we have to, we could able to retrieve it. And therefore, we don't want to seize property that is a, that's, uh, that's, that, that's metaltolin, because then he, the lova won't be able to retrieve it. Now, um, so therefore, the Islam the Milva, but if the Milva actually has Karka himself, Kasvinan, then we allow, then we seize chattel, we seize metaltolin, because then even if the guy took the car and sold it and then he doesn't have the money, etc., the Lova can always now get his money back from the Malvez Makarka. So as long as somebody has Karka, you know, it could always be reversed. Either you're seizing the Karka and then you give him back the Karka, or you're seizing the Tatlin and you could give him the Malvez Karka. So that's what the Gemara initially says. For Lohi, but it's not true. Adrakta Matatli Lokasvinan. We do not write a Adrakta, which is again like a, a document to seize the property on Matatlin. Why? Avagav the Isle Makarka, Chayshin and Shemataxif. We're afraid that the Karka of the Malve will go down in value. And of course, I mean, you know, what do you mean? Let's say the Malve has millions of dollars worth of karka and it's a thousand dollar, you know, thing, judgment. So it doesn't seem like it sort of explains all cases, but the point is if the Lova is claiming that the star is a forgery, um, even if he hasn't produced the witnesses, we always want to allow an easy reversal of the judgment. So we always want to have him just seize the karka so we could give the same karka back. Okay, so that's, so that's interesting that that claim is enough to us for us to leave that open door. All right, so now the Gemara goes on. Um, the Kikasvinan Adrachta, and when do we write this Adrachta, this, this document to seize the property, or, or when we write it, Modi'inanle, we inform him, okay, that you should be aware that we have now written a document against you that, you know, to come and seize your property. The Hanimili de Mikrev, that's only if he's nearby. But if he's far away, we don't, you know, we don't sort of wait to write it until we can, like, inform him about it. The Imirchak to Ikakrovim, but if, however, he has relatives around, Inami Ikashayrasa to Azim or there are caravans that travel to where this guy lives, then So then we give time for them, you know, a year, this was happened before you had phones, you know, for the, uh, for the caravans to go and to come back. Because again, this gets back to the point that the same way before we saw we gave him 90 days, so, you know, we want to give him time that if we're about to do this, that he actually can go ahead and make the payment himself. Okay? So, um, which, um, so which is interesting because right because this adrachta is what we write after the ninety days. Um, you would have thought that maybe when you write the peticha, the original thing, that that you know, and then the ninety day clock starts. That's when you want to sort of first inform him because that's when you're giving him the ninety days to get the property. But anyway, here when we're about to seize the property, we have to inform him as well. Ravina, like the case of Ravina, Shalomar Acha Shata. He waited a year for Mar Acha to get the uh, information before they were about to seize the property. Until the uh, caravans went and came back from Bechuzai. Um, and therefore, we normally, so we give him a year, presumably, uh, to get the information to him. Again, it's interesting to me why we don't first get the information and then wait the 90 days and then seize immediately. But uh, anyway, when we're ready to seize the property, we give him a year. Um, Belohi. 
There, he was a very, you know, uh, like a strong-armed person. In that case, if the uh, if we would have given the litigant the adrachta, um, there would have been no way to reverse it. And again, here we're talking about the idea that the guy is claiming it's a forgery, wants to be able to reverse it, and so on. So in that case, we waited extra long before giving the guy the uh, writ of judgment. Okay, so that to give the guy the, yet, yet a, you know one final opportunity to come and to deal with the case. But otherwise, if we feel that we have the power to reverse it, um, then we will write it, and then if something happens, we'll be able to reverse it. Again, uh, again we uh, after I'm still not getting because it seems you'd have to inform the guy first to wait the night. 90 days, but anyway. Okay. Um, but here we don't wait for this writ. The Shaliyah goes on Tuesday, because the court case is on a Monday. We remember, we sort of, you know, did, did a whole Bahab. And then he arrives to wherever he's going to inform the guy on Wednesday. And then the guy has Thursday to come back. Okay, so again, what does that mean if the guy's more than three days away? Like, uh, so, and, and, and I'm still very confused because it seemed like initially, you know, you didn't start the 90-day clock until the guy could be informed. And now we're sort of talking about, you know, yet another waiting period uh, and informing him before you're ready to seize the property. Okay, Amar Avina. Now, Ravina says, Hi, Now, if, a shliach, if we send a messenger to a guy and basically um, to tell him, like, you know, you have to go ahead and um, we're going back to the case of somebody doesn't want to show up to the court. Okay, so we send a shliach to get somebody. Somebody's being summoned to court. And the shliach comes back and says he refuses to come. And then because if he refuses to come, as we've seen, we're going to start proceedings against him. So we believe the shliach. He doesn't have to bring witnesses. If we've appointed a shliach based in, then he's trusted to say, the guys refuse to come and we don't need any supporting evidence and then we begin the proceedings against him and we write this, these star against him etc. Seems like there's, there's two mindsets there. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? I mean, it wouldn't be. A, wouldn't we have to figure out like now? Like, what, what happens if somebody refuses a, uh, a subpoena and a, or summons, right? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, or they issue summary judgments against a person if they refuse to show to court, come to court, right? So, where are you seeing that this is showing weakness? Well, I, I'm saying if in reality they didn't have. Uh, all the power that they claim to have. Right. <laughs> then it makes sense to bend over backwards to stretch it out. Oh, I see. Maybe the giving of the time is not on the other person, but because we're not really certain that we will be able to. That could be. That could be. Um, okay. So, um, all right. So, we trust him like two witnesses to say the guy's refusing to come, and then we begin proceedings against this guy. Um, now that's to put the guy in a cherem. As we saw, then we give 90 days for him 
to like, uh, well, it wasn't getting clear. Is the 90 days for him to then produce the money or the, is the cheyrim in order then to get him to start to come to court? But okay, we put him under some type of a, of a cheyrim in order to get him to come to court. Avalipticha, but this pticha, which is actually the sort of uh, written cheyrim, uh, which is what we referred to before, okay, in that case, keeping the mamona kamechasrele, so in that case, it's going to cost him money. Um, what's going to cost him money? We'll see in a minute, um, because he refused and we wrote out this cheyrim against him. In that case, the kab- um, and here's the money it's going to cost him, the kabay le lemesev le zuze lesafra, because it, uh, in the end, when he sort of, you know, does show off to court and so on, he has to pay for the court costs of writing this cheyrim against him. That's part of the fine. Okay? So when we undo the cheyrim because he showed up and so on. So if we're going to act, so to put him in cheyrim because the shaliach says he refuses to come to hold him in contempt of court, that will do on the testimony of the shaliach. But to actually write out a court document where then we're going to f- charge him for the court costs, that we're going to wait until there's some supporting evidence that he refuses to show up. No, we wouldn't do it. Amar Avina. Yavina zimna apuma di isasava apuma de shivavi. Now again, this idea of sort of of um, that we're that we're sort of saying that the person found out that he was being called to court and he refuses to come, and then we're going to start proceedings against him. Okay, so that would be not you could you could even send the, uh, a a a woman or a uh, or neighbors. It doesn't have to be somebody who you would normally use as a court officer. Okay, so basically, you know, the guy isn't around, and so you go ahead and you knock on his neighbor's door and you say, when Reuven comes back. From his, uh, you know, from his uh, business trip, tell him that he's being summoned to court, okay? Or you tell his wife, or you send a woman to tell him, or something. All those cases, we're going to assume that he'll get the information, and if he doesn't show up on the appointed day, then he's going to be like held in contempt, and we're going to put a shamta on him, and we're going to begin proceedings against him. Okay, Now that's only if Ruvain isn't in the city. Okay, then we tell these people, and we assume that if they live nearby him, they'll inform him and that, we, and that we'll assume they'll do what we told them to do and he's going to get the message. If he is in the city, well, then we don't trust that, we don't trust them to get him the message. Why? Because they'll say, we say, these were the people we asked to tell Ruvain, they're not going to tell him. The Because they'll say, hey, you know, Ruvain's in the city. We're sure the court found him on their own, you know. They don't need us, you know, to, to go and tell him. So they don't take the weight of their responsibility seriously if the court's in the city and Ruvain's in the city. But if Ruvain isn't, and they're the neighbors, and you say, listen, you know, make sure as soon as Ruvain gets here that you tell him that we need to see him and so on, then they take the responsibility seriously. Okay. And even this, we assume that they'll take this, uh, you know, this uh, agency, this uh, job seriously, is only if Basin doesn't normally, if, if Ruvain doesn't normally drop by Basin. If, if he normally drops by Bastin when he sort of returns from his trips or wherever he's coming when he comes into the city, well, then we don't trust them to be the ones to tell him. Because Amri, because again, they'll say, well, the, the Bastin doesn't need us to tell Ruvain. They'll find 
Yom Dil Talib. So it's only when they really understand that it's all on them to do it that they'll, we, we can assume that they'll do the job. And also, we can only trust them to have informed him if, the, if he's going to return, be returning that day. If he's not going to be returning that day from whatever trip he's on, then we don't trust that they've told him. Ema, they forgot. Okay, yeah, by the time it's a few days later, they don't remember, they're, they're not, they're, you know, it slipped their mind. So again, all of this is, is, is in order to give a little more Rachmanis uh, to Ruvain, because if, if we assume Ruvain got the message and he hasn't shown up to the base, then we're going to start proceedings against him. So can we trust that he got the message, you know, in these cases, and only under narrow circumstances can we assume he's got the message? Okay. Avalasi below. Okay. I'm a Rava. Haiman the Kasavale Pticha, Aldo Otiladina. So somebody who's been given like this, uh, again, this Ticha is like this writ of uh, contempt because he has not shown up to judgment. Um, until he actually shows up to judgment, we do not tear up that writ against him, that put, his, his putting in Chayim. Even if he says, I'm coming, I'm coming, we don't say, we don't trust him that he's actually going to show up and we don't sort of cancel the judgment, uh, the uh, writ of uh, Chayim against him until he actually shows up. But if we're writing a writ against him, that he's not actually uh, you know, come, f- following through on the judgment. The judgment was he owes a thousand dollars, and he's been hesitating and not paying up the guy. And therefore, we're going to write this writ against him. So in that case, um, then similarly, we won't tear it up until he actually pays up the money, even if he says I'm going to pay up the money. Okay, which seems very reasonable. If the guy's been you know, you know, postponing and uh, resisting and so on, then we need to use the. Then we're not going to trust him and write. You know, give up. Our our only leverage against him until he actually produces. But because, interestingly, because then the Gemara is going to reject it. It would seem completely reasonable, right? I mean, but then the last line is, the lohi. As soon as he says, fine, I'll, I'll give the money, like he's not obviously reje- resisting, we trust him. Now, why is that different than, than in the other case, if he says, I'm going to show up? So Rashi says, well, if he says I'm going to show up, then show up. But if you say you're going to pay the money, there could be reasons why you're still not doing it immediately, like maybe you have to actually raise the money in order to pay it. And meaning that there are different reasons, meaning it's not contempt. It's like the Gemara said before, before you came here, there was a whole discussion about giving somebody 90 days to collect the money, that, you know, that if you're not coming to court right away, clearly it's because you're rejecting our authority and you're, you know, you're, you're refusing to participate. If you're not paying right away, it might be because you have to collect the money. But the difference is that that's, that if, if from the get-go you said, yes, I'm going to pay, give me time to collect the money, we would understand. But if from the beginning you said, I refuse to pay, I reject, I reject, and then you said, okay, fine, I will, and then you, then it's like, we should be skeptical about whether, right? So you do understand why in one case, you know, it does take time. It might take time even if you're willing to participate, but not why we would trust you after you've been resisting. Not really, though, because right. before, before we're saying that you give time because he's bringing witnesses. Right. right. Well, I think started because can you do it with Mitchell Albertine? Mitchell Albertine. 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 Mitchell
Yeah, again, I, I hear that. I guess I'm still not certain. I, it was not clear to me whether the Gemara was consistently in that framing or whether it was sort of shifting to more general rules of court proceedings of people that are refusing to show up. You know, with, that was a sense that I got. And if it's like you, that the guy saying, I need time to produce the witnesses, then it's not clear this distinction the Gemara is making at the end. And why, right? So I, my sense was at a certain stage we shifted to be talking about like general, you know, people who are contempt of court and not showing up. But yeah. Why, why should someone care about this, this order? Like, yeah, so Ashanta is like a light harem, but it, you know, it basically means it has consequences, that has social consequences, right? It means that, you know, that uh, people don't engage with business with him, and like, you know, it's so, yeah. I mean, so that, that was like the power that the court had before it actually used, you know, how to use like actual like physical force was, you know, these types of uh, forms of harem. So it's not like, we'll just keep it in the files, we'll Right, exactly, exactly. Look, it's a whole issue that comes up today with, you know, with uh, Aguna cases, right? And what stage do they sort of write that somebody is in contempt and then, you know, whatever they, they have the power to do, whether they're going to do it. Okay, so now we continue. Amar Avchista, Kovin Zman Sheni V'chamishi V'sheni. Zimna V'zimna Basar Zimna. Okay, Lumacha Kasvinan. So we give the guy, Sheni V'chamishi V'sheni. Now the case here is, Rashi says, hold on, uh, let me just check Rashi. Liyom Sheni V'chamishi V'sheni, lo yavo. Right, so again, this now is clearly another case about a person that's just generally in contempt. He refuses to show up. He's being summoned to din. And again, the question is, if he continues to refuse to summon, then again, either we issue some writ of contempt against him, and or, based on the sugya earlier, we'll even start proceedings against him. Okay? So, how much time do we give him before we actually issue some writ of contempt? So, he says, we call him for based in for Monday, presumably they start new cases on Monday, and then and then Thursday, and then Monday again. We give him multiple opportunities. And after the end of the third Monday, of the second Monday, the third opportunity, and then we write this writ of Shamta against him. This writ of contempt. Ravasi ikla bay Rav Kahana. Ravasi dropped by to the house, or maybe the basin of Rav Kahana. Chazahi itata, and he saw that there was a case of a woman, the Azman Oladina, that she was summoned to court. Abbasanya in the morning, I'm sorry, in the evening. Ubitsafra, and by the, in the afternoon, and by the Safra, by the next morning, Kasavala Pticha, he wrote a, a writ of a contempt against her. Uh, not a writ of judgment, a writ of contempt. Amalei, so she just because she didn't show on one day. Lo sabr lamar, lahadamar, that you give somebody like, you know, a, a Monday, Thursday, Monday before you write a writ of contempt for them not showing up. That's about a, a man because, you know, we understand that he might have other things that are preventing him from coming to course, court, right? Because he's got a job. He's got to go on a business trip. He's not always in the city. But a woman, even the East of Bamasa, she's always at home. So if she's not, if she's not showing up, she's obviously rebelling against the authority of the court. So uh, you can uh, just say what you want. Is that an accurate description of reality? Is there a certain type of obviously a you know a negative view of women in this? I don't know what to say about that. I mean, one assumes that women had jobs at home too, but I guess the point is is that maybe there's a presumption that they can always arrange their affairs more than a man can. Well, let's hear from the women in this year. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's hilarious, but but I'm but it's funny because when we think about I don't, I don't know what the Gemara's reasoning for why women aren't high of and feeling. Right. Like it's how, the how think of it is it's the opposite that like men do have time to do feeling women are busy with other stuff. Uh-huh. So it's fascinating that they're like, women don't have time to talk to God, 
Oh, I see. That's a really interesting contrast. Right. Right. But there is, I just want to just say, in today's society, there is some truth to that. Like, if a guy has a job, I mean, okay, it could be the woman has a job and the guy stays at home, but still, it's more common, right? The guy has a job and the woman stays at home, and then something has to happen. The kid has to get picked up from school because he's sick. There's just a presumption that the, that the woman is going to do it, whatever was on her schedule, yeah, and, and not, and not the man who's at work. What? Right, but I'm saying that's the same assumption, right? The woman can accommodate her schedule. I'm at work, you know. So, right? Yes, no. <laughs> What's really going on here is, is that uh, he's, he is changing the rule based on circumstances, right? So right. Here's the rule. Right. So he's, he's saying, well, okay, but because the circumstances dictate that maybe you know women are, are always in town, right? The rule's different, right? Just the fact that we don't have a hard and fast rule about it—that we're yeah, that yes. willing to, to rule right, right. But in, but in this, but the question is, would he by his being more strict, would he also be more lenient? I mean, that came up before too, right? About what we ask people to inform, and in this case, right, there does seem to be some degree. Right, based right. on reality. Right, right. That is correct. Okay. Um, Okay, so the man says, Amr of Yudah, Lo Yavina Zibna Lo Biyominisam Lo Biyomitishre. We do not summon somebody to court and then have those have to suffer the consequences during um, the, the Nisan, which is the harvest season, and Tishri, which is the planting season. People have other priorities during the harvest season, planting season. It's not fair to summon them to court, and presumably, even if we did, we wouldn't hold them in contempt if they didn't show up, although he doesn't say that. Okay. Avao Minisam Lebosiyominisam, but we could send them a summons during the spring, during the, during the harvest season that they should come to court after Nisan is over. Or during the, again, it doesn't literally mean Tishrei, it means that's why it says Yome Tishrei. Right? The planting season that they should come to court afterwards. Kavinan. Now, we do not send them a summons on Friday to come up to, to come to court after Shabbos, to like on a Monday. My time. Person is too busy getting ready for Shabbos and not paying attention to your summons. Yeah, 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 whatever. Fine. I'm, I'm in a rush. Okay? So it doesn't that people don't really hear the summons even if you summon them on a Friday. We do not um, summon the people that are coming to the Kala. The Kala is the drush on Shabbos. Okay? We don't summon them like, oh, everybody's showing up. Right? Here's all the people I've been trying to, uh, to get to come to court. Right? I couldn't find this guy. So it's a perfect opportunity to go ahead and issue a summons on him and to summon to go, which is an interesting question of, isn't that like, over Dover to be issuing summons on Shabbos. Um, but anyway, the, uh, Rashi says Kali here meant Shabbos. So there is this Yarchika, which is the period before the Rega, but that's the next thing, Libne Rigla. Rashi says here Kala, Rashi says is, Brainly Shmoah Hadrasha Bechol Shabbos. Okay? So the people that come to the sermon, okay? Below Libne Rigla Berigla, or the people that gather for the learning prior to a Regal, you don't summon them, you know, you, don't, you know, when they come on the, not, whether the Regal means the Regal itself, or whether it means the period before the Regal, when they all gather to learn Torah, you don't say, great, we got you all here, here are the summons we're issuing to get you. That's not going to help attendance for the next time around. <laughs> and also, like a little upstairs. Anyway, now when people would come for Rav Nachman for a Russia. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Asu kam. Amalehu. 
I'm sorry, meaning the Shalichi based in, right? Or no, Rashi says Tovin, excuse me, the litigants. They would come to Rav Nachman and they would say, Rav Nachman, you got all these people in your audience now. They've been hiding out from us. We'd like to, you know, use this opportunity to summon them to court, you know, and to issue, right, the, what is it, a warrant, not a warrant, what's it say they issue, a, uh, a subpoena, right? You know, when, they, you know, they always have those things like you try to find somebody to, to give them the subpoena because they've been avoiding you. So this was the opportunity to give these guys their subpoenas. So let's do it. So he would say to them, what, you think I gather them all together to serve your purposes so we could do this thing, man? I gather them together to teach them Torah. It's not fair to them and, you know, obviously would hurt his business in the future. Okay. Nowadays, however, that there are deceptive people, we are concerned. I, don't, I didn't understand that. Who's being deceptive? People come to, the, come to the drusha and they don't really want to hear the drusha. I mean, coming doesn't make you avoid the judge. I, I, like, I don't understand what, we're, what that means. Judgment. What? Meaning people avoiding the, the, the judgment, and therefore, what do we do? What? Oh, 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 oh. Meaning because it is so hard in general to find them, and this is the only opportunity. Ah, I see. Okay, sorry. Okay, now that it's so hard and people really manage to avoid, there's the only opportunity we do it. Of course, what that does to your attendance, I don't know. But, you know, they tell stories, by the way, about how, uh, you know, in certain places they managed to find people that were, um, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, you know, skipping out on parole or have been avoiding warrants or whatever, that they would send um, like uh, like uh, like letters to you know their their last known address or people they knew were associated with them addressed to them and it sort of said you know you just want a free trip to Disneyland you have to show up to this place in order to, to claim your gift and then they would actually to issue a lot of warrants at the time so people would show up what <laughs> exactly alright okay uh, moving back to the Mishnah and just repeating the thing we said before on the Mishnah um if this thing that was stolen and now the kids have it after the father died has a chrayis they have to pay and that meant one of two things either it meant that the gzela is not around but the father left property and therefore there are liens on the property on the real estate or what we've been saying it means a very unusual read of the Mishnah which we're going to say again Rebbe taught this Rebbe and his son but we don't literally mean land we mean anything that is sort of like obvious and public um, even though technically the kids own it because it would be like Yehosh and Shinu Bishos or whatever reasons we gave but if it's very obvious oh look this guy they're, they're, they're plowing you know with the, that stolen cow then you return it you know for Kavra Viem I would even think Kavra but okay or a donkey that they're now using and leading afterwards they have to return it let's say it's something that is you use regularly, but you don't use outdoors, you use indoors. Is that considered public enough that you would have to return it? A bed that you recline on, like for like eating, or the table that you eat off of, mahu. what's the story? Because people come to your house and see it, but it's not the same public aspect. Amalo, he said to back to him, ten lechacham v'yach kamod. You know, a smart person should be able to figure it out for himself. Okay? <laughs> which is, okay, which way does it go? So Rashi says, well, presumably it means, yeah, it's the same thing. Figure, you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but whatever. We don't have to 
to spell everything out. All right, moving on to the next Mishnah. Now things get really interesting. You cannot change money from the box of tax collectors or the pouch of Gabayim, which is a different type of tax collectors. Now, in the Roman world, there was something called tax farming, which basically meant that they privatized tax collection, that the government would basically say, okay, we can expect to get revenues of, like, if we did our job or whatever, you know, I don't know, we would, we would gross a million dollars from this uh, locality, so we'll sell that to you for $500,000 and then you have to go ahead and you have to, you know, admi- administer it and do the actual collecting and so on. Saves us the effort, saves us, etc. Now, the only problem with that is, what? And you keep the money you collect. The only problem is, is that uh, if we're not doing a good job supervising it, you could obviously abuse the privilege and collect more than you should be collecting. So there was a general perception that the tax collectors were all going of him because they were all collecting outside of the bounds of what they should legitimately be collecting. You know, when um, when Jesus eats with the uh, tax collectors, he eats with the, uh, doesn't he eat with the tax collectors there? Right. It's the same thing. Like, these were perceived of, it was the prostitutes and the tax collectors, right? This was like the low part of society for different reasons, but whatever. And the tax collectors were very wealthy, but they were considered to be Ganavim, or Gazlanim. So, because the money in there so that, that they had was seen essentially as money that they collected excessive of what they were entitled to. It was seen as that there were you know, stolen money in their pouches. So if you go ahead and you change your coins, you say, oh, can you break a 20? And you say it to the tax collector. So then he's giving you money that is stolen money. Now, Tozer asks, is this technically a problem that it's like, you know, money that it's, the owners are not miyayish on it? I mean, it's a little bit hard to imagine that they're not miyayish on money that they pay to the tax collectors that has the backing of the government, right? So, I mean, so even, so one is you could say they weren't in the eyes somehow they hope to get it back and therefore you're holding on to somebody else's money that still belongs to the guy who paid the taxes. But more likely, Tosa says, even if they were miyayish, it is very unseemly for you to be taking money from what is perceived to be essentially stolen stolen goods and stolen money. Okay? So if you take a look at, at Tosa's Ain Parting Lomitevus Hamosin, Tosa says like this, uh, If there's no Yeyush, then it makes sense. Of course, even if Stam Gzela is not Yeyush, I think this is a little bit more than Stam Gzela. Anyway, when we come up Tani Dinosi, we'll get to the next line. Well, let's read the next line of the Mishnah. So you don't change your money with the tax collectors. The Ainotli name Tzedakah. You don't take Tzedakah money from them because it's assumed to be stolen. Aval, Notohumi Tok Beto, Ominashuk. But you can, um, um, but you can, uh, if you're actually, it's not that, the, it, the, you know, you see the guy at home and you knock on his door and say, can you break a 20 for me? Or you see him in the marketplace and he's not going around collecting his taxes. Okay, in that case, you don't have to assume that all money he has on him is stolen. If it's not coming directly out of, you know, the, the, the pouch of uh, the box in which he puts the tax money. Okay, because the other money you don't have to assume is stolen that he has. And the first line of the Gemara is, Tana avonosin lodinu venosin lo sashah. If your taxes is... Uh, a twenty dollars or whatever you can give him t- ten dollars you can give him a twenty and take ten dollars and change okay even though he's giving you the ten dollars and change out of that pouch so now if you look um, so Rashi says basically it's like matzum yadam right you know I mean what are you going to do you're going to have to be allow yourself to if you refuse to take your change like you know you don't have to lose your own money just because of this concern 
So let's take a look at Tosos about this. So Abundant Ami back tells us ain't part in. So Abundant Ami Stam Gzeva Lo Asi Shapir. Then it makes sense because it's really stolen funds that are in his uh, pouch. Okay? I mean, it still is considered belonging to the original owner. So if it really is money that still belongs to the original owner, why can you take your change? So he says, Not necessarily all the money is Gezo. I mean, some of it he was legitimately collected. So you don't have to, you know, so you can be a little bit lenient if it's just about protecting, you know, not being even more stolen from yourself. Okay, so that's assuming that the re- that it really is still considered owned by the original owners. And even if we assume that normal gzela, the owners do give up, and what I would sort of say is that should be presumed to be the case here, right? Because, I mean, my God, it's a tax collector. So now what's the problem? You'll take possession of it. It'll be yeish machine rishos. It's, dis- you know, it's disgusting. It's uh, despicable. The teva of the keys that exactly that you know perceptacle in which you put all your stolen goods in again this is tax money but you know all your stolen goods in says I mean this is the place this is like the ghetto box and you're taking stuff out of it so even if technically you know it's not uh, first of all you could also say like we, which we haven't really explored right if Dov here steals something and I know that Jenna was Miyayish am I allowed to take it from him even as a for first of all, this question can I buy it from them because then I'm providing a market and I'm supporting it, and that's the more we'll get to it. Okay, but let's even say I'm not buying. Can I take it from them as a gift? My receiving it as a gift is is making it leave Jenna's rishos, right? Like even though I will own it at the end, by participating affects it completely leaving her control. But even besides that, Tosa says, look, the bottom point here is that this whole thing is inappropriate. You know, it's very much perceived of as that this is God's, this is stolen funds. Technically, whether you'll own it in the or not own it in the end are the owners miyayish you're taking stuff that is seen of, as like taking stone funds which then raises a really interesting question about that line about tzedakah which of course every show rabbi and every Jewish institution has to worry about which is a lot of people who make their money in unseemly fashions you know want to then sort of uh, you know salve their conscience or whatever by making major donations to tzedakah and to Jewish causes and do you say like oh I can't take it because it's all from ill-gotten gains you know and maybe you also want to say I'm indirectly helping this person like rationalize all the stuff that they do and go ahead on the other hand it's like you know why not at least some good should come out of all that bad they doing we should help support my important cause you know believe me a lot of uh, Jewish a, a lot of a lot of my a lot, a lot of a lot of rabbis and a lot of Jewish institutions have accepted money from uh, nefarious uh, that, that have been you know, gain, you know ill-gotten gains anyway there's an interesting discussion in the Rishonim and in the Postim about this but you see that the Mishnah is reading it narrowly. You don't take it from the pouch of the stolen money. I can go to the guy's house, and the money, the stuff he has there was clearly bought from his profits, but as long as I'm not taking it directly out of the pouch, it's allowed. So, you know, so on the one hand it says don't, but on the other hand it narrows it very much to when it's like the most directly engage, you know, engage, like, like uh, participating in the act itself, you know, directly engaging it with the actual stolen goods themselves. So, um, that's the case of the Mishnah. So let's take a look at the Gemara now. Now the Gemara turns to a broader discussion about um, the issue, this issue about that the tax collectors are considered to be Gazlanim. Okay, Muslims, the tax collectors. So the Gemara says, 
But one minute, why are tax collectors a problem? Doesn't Shmuel say, Dina de Machusa Dina? The rule of the government is the rule. The rule of the kingdom is the rule. So if the kingdom gives the person the power to collect, it should be legitimate. So the Gemara says, Amar Avchanina Barkan, Amar Shmuel, the Mochas Shein no Kitzva. He doesn't follow, he doesn't go by the actual rules. Okay, he basically collects more than he's entitled to based on the rules, on what the government has allowed him. Today, which makes, which clearly was a major concern. Um, he actually was not appointed by the government. Okay, he is the local mafioso. He's saying that he's collecting, you know, protection money or whatever he's protecting, doing. And no government backs him, and uh, so that really is ghetto. Now, by the way, the important thing that all the uh, scholars point out is that all of the, well, you know, let's read this also again, then I'll make the point. Okay, so the Messiah says, Some teach this discussion on the following, Mishan Kilayim. Lo yobashadim kilayim, afilu agabe yasar begadim. Do not wear uh, clothes that are kilayim, even on top of ten garments, so you're not directly, you know, getting like, you know, a warmth benefit from it. Um, it's not a normal way of wearing it. And, um, laviach, um, laviach borat hamdechef. So, and, you know, even the reason you would be doing it, and you might think it's allowed from a Kilayan perspective, is you're doing it to get out of paying taxes. Why? Because apparently you would only have to pay, like, import taxes on stuff that were, like, uh, you know, wares that you were bringing in. But anything that you were wearing, wares, anyway, you know, goods that you were bringing in, but anything you were wearing on your person would not be taxed. Okay, so don't go ahead and try to put ten garments on your person and one of them is kilayim, even, to, even if it's a legitimate reason, like to get out of taxes, you can't do it because of kilayim concerns. So the Gemara says, Masnitz in this mission is to look Rebbe Akiva. It's not like Rebbe Akiva. It's not You cannot go ahead and avoid paying your, uh, these uh, uh, excise taxes. Rebbe Shimon Omer, Mishum Rebbe Akiva, Mutter Laviyech HaZamechas. You're allowed to get out of paying taxes. Okay, these, again, these are like import taxes. So when it comes to Kilayim, this is the debate. It's interesting that we didn't even say a debate about Kilayim. But anyway, this is the issue that would come up by Kilayim about wearing it in this context. If you're wearing it not to serve as a garment, but just as a way of like getting out of these taxes, is that considered like, a, you know, it's, it, so you're getting benefit from the, wearing the clothes, but it's, you're not intending to. So it's like, or you're doing an act of wearing Kilayim, but not really intending to. Now, that's a funny type of an Ein Mitkavein. A normal Ein Mitkavein is, like by Shabbos, is I'm walking across this garden and I'm trying to get to the other side, but because of the cleats on my shoes, I'm going to uh, make a furrow in the, in the yard. I'm not even aware or trying to do the other act. Here you're totally aware of the act that you're doing. You're putting Kilayim on your back. You just concept- are not conceptualizing it as an act of wearing. You're sort of conceptualizing it as I'm carrying it, but I'm carrying it in this way to get out of. So it's interesting that the Mark calls this an Ein Mitkavein it's not our sugi right now right you're not eating in a way you could say like I'm not getting hanas levisha out of it or something right so why exactly this frame of Zayna Mitkavin is interesting and how much anyway like is, is this about yeah, so anyway, but right, but let's just leave it at that. So one says, even though that wasn't exactly your intent to be wearing it, it constitutes wearing it. Um, uh, 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 no, one says, because it wasn't your intent, it's not really an act of wearing it. So it doesn't matter whether that was your intent or not, you're still wearing it, it's still a problem. Whatever, we could debate the Kilayim issue. Now, but how could Rabbi Akiva say you're allowed to cheat the taxes? The Hamar Shmuel, Dina de Machusadina, you go by the law of the government. Notice 
Moshe Rabbi Kiva Zatana. Shmuel here is an Amora. All of the evidence that does not that feels that it's okay to get out of paying taxes and these tax collectors are Gazlanim or whatever is all Tana Idit. Okay? But how does that work with Shmuel's statement? So the Gemara says it's a tax collector that goes beyond the right para- the, the parameters. He does whatever he wants. Um, he's not even backed by the government. Okay. Others say this whole the same discussion on the, on the third Tanaitic source. Basically, you're there and you're carrying all of these goods and you're stopped by a tax collector and they make you pay whatever it is, the import tax, the excise tax, for all the goods you're carrying, and you say, no, 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 these are tax-free. Why are they tax-free? Because they all belong to the king. Or they're all truma. Somehow the tax collectors gave you a free pass for truma. I don't know. Okay. Now, I don't believe you. You're lying. So you say, no, I'll take a netter. All the fruit in the world is usher to me. If uh, food in the world is usher to me, if, uh, if this it does not belong to base Hamelech. Okay. Okay, fine. You're telling me the truth. And he lets you go. And you're, of course, you are lying. Okay. So the way the mission explains that what you do is, in your mind, you sort of say, I have my fingers crossed, essentially. Which is what you said in your mind. I said, all the food in the world is usher to me today. But you didn't, didn't articulate the today part. Okay? And the mission says that you're allowed to do that, and that's not a problem about making a false neder, even though normally, here because you were sort of pressured to say it, there's an understanding that, you know, you didn't really mean it, at least an understanding of, we understand, the, the tax collector didn't understand that. Okay, anyway, so that's the point of the mission that says it's not a neder problem. You can take this neder to the. Uh, to the har- Haragin are murderers who are demanding your property, or Haramim are the, um, and Mosim Haramim are other types of uh, whatever, uh, Rashi says, uh, oh, just, I don't know, robbers, Rashi says, okay, or tax collectors, okay, and you can say that it's Truma or it belongs to the king, okay, and it's not a problem about a neder because in your mind you're thinking, Hayom, and even though normally you don't go by Dvarim Shabalev, because of the context here, we do go by Dvarim Shabalev. Okay, so that's a neder halacha, but how are you allowed to steal from the Mosin? Well, the Mosin, how can you steal from the Mosin? So how could you be doing this from a from a just a you know from a, a gezel standpoint? So he doesn't have any limits. He's not really appointed by the government. Okay, now before we go on, you'll notice all three examples were Tanaitic. All the Tanaitic sources assume that most of them are Gazlanim and are illegitimate. Shmuel is Amoraic and he's Amoraic from Bavel. So what the academics point out is, is that, you know, the Babylonian uh, government, the uh, uh, Persian government was much more, we, we know this, they were much more hospitable to the Jews, they were much more had a just type of a legal system, and Shmua was very close to Shwarmalka, who was the head of the, uh, you know, Persian government and whatever, and therefore... Shmuel said, like, you know, this is a legitimate government and we have to follow the laws, you know. So he was the one that articulated Dina Machus The fact that it was not perceived that way by the Jews living in Eretz Israel under the oppressive Roman government, you know, and they sort of saw the whole thing as illegitimate, right? So that's really like, and the Yerushalmi never says Dina Machus It's a pure Bavli Shmuel type of a statement, okay? So it's interesting, right, that the Gemara is trying to reconcile them, but they're coming from very different perceptions of the government. It's sort of like Rav Moshe has a tshuva that he was asked by, you know, uh, some... 
uh, like uh, by some yeshivas about can they it's even like there was one question about can you cheat on your regents and there was another question about are you basically allowed to sort of lie in order to get government subsidies um, and all these wonderful things so of course Rav Osha starts with you by saying Shalom, it's all like it's all total Rosh Hara no real yeshiva would ever even be asking this question but to answer it in theory at least <laughs> right and then what he basically says is he says you know he says we live in a Medina Shel Chesed that all they want is for the good of their citizens and has shown that we should ever think that we should ever try you know do anything deceptive and misrepresentative and so on you know what he's basically saying is hey guys you don't learn, live in Tsarist Russia anymore like under oppressive Tsarist Russia maybe the whole mentality was whatever you can you know because you know whatever you can manage to to cheat out not to cheat like to get out of the government since the government is stealing everything from you anyway right whatever whatever devious device, devices you can use like you know that's legitimate he says it's very different here but it requires a very different mentality and to accept that the different realities of the gov- uh, the government under which you live so anyway that was not the perception of the you know Tanaim regarding the sort of Roman government but nevertheless that being said there still was the truth that even within the Roman government a lot of tax collectors exceeded their license and that would always be a problem then you're no, no longer operating with Indina and Malchusa okay the last thing I'll say before we get to the next part which is a very juicy part which gets into a whole Gezel Goy question okay we'll have to leave that for tomorrow but let's just end I want to look at Tosus Nodin Lahargin Tosus applies it to a practical case Tosus says uh, in his time he says like this he says if you look at the middle of the Tosa, Suchei Noagim, um, one, two, three, four, five, about eight lines, like smack in the middle of the Tosa, so starts Achas Oraga, Oraga, he says, Suchei Noagim, Keshanasim Madirin HaYehudim, Hadarim HaTakhtehem, Shalom Yetzu Ladur B'Yorachereh. In the Middle Ages, the big question was about, like, who had a right to settle in different places, you know, and they wanted to really, like, control in terms of the economics and so on, so Jews would get, like, a right to, like, move to a new place, to open up new you know economic opportunities okay so but you know the government would often like miss, you know people would be like you know there's the pale of sellem, settlement and all these things you know you would have to you, it would be prohibited for you to leave with a certain region and they would make people take an oath that they wouldn't leave of course would limit the Jews opportunity to make a Parnassah so they would make them take an oath so he says when they force them to take this oath Shalom Yetzu Adur B'Yarecheres Yecholim Lidur Stam Shalom Yetzu yeah fine I make it in there that I won't leave. And if I leave, like, uh, if I take a shoe, I won't leave. I make a nether that all stuff will be, in the world will be usher to me. Okay, I swear I won't leave. And in my mind, I think, today. Okay. <laughs> so, it's sort of like, just like the exact time in this case. Let's say, like, you know, they sort of catch on. They say, no, take an oath that you'll never leave your entire life from this region. Fine, I take an oath I'll never leave my entire life from this region. Then you mind you can say like you know uh, if uh, you know uh, whatever the if is like you know if I win the lottery tomorrow like what <laughs> if the sun doesn't rise tomorrow right okay and if you sort of like were like with saying and you're an undertone explicitly what your condition was then even better right you don't sort of say it out loud sure I, I promise I want whatever okay and then you mumble something but anyway very interesting to see you know about the reality didn't change and about the need that they had that using to take an oath a shvur and ned there in order to get them to abide by it of course one does worry about the Chil Hashem problem you know after a while they start picking up on the fact that the Jews are taking all these oaths and then they're going ahead and doing it anyway right but you know what sometimes it was also uh, 
it was understood that that uh, you know you have to placate your right wing, uh-huh. right? It's understood that yeah, everything's above board here. But everybody understands. Oh, you mean even the person who's making you take the oath? Yeah. Oh, that could be. All right, you mean you mean like the government officer that's oh, making okay. you do it? Oh, that could be. So we got through this basic issue of Adina and Machusadina and taking money from people that have earned it through ill-gotten gains. Okay, very juicy stuff. And tomorrow we pick up with a very important discussion about Gezel Goy. We're dealing with a Mishnah that you cannot uh, directly exchange money from the tax collectors, taken directly from the pouch in which they have the tax money in, because um, the assumption of the Mishnah that it is a type of a gazelle, which led to a very important discussion in the, Yusha, in the Gemara, that how could that be if Dina the Mahus Adina, if the government has a right to do these things, and it basically said that we're talking about a case where they do it either that they're not backed by the government or they go outside the parameters that the government allows. Um, and we pointed out that this idea of Dina Mahus Adina, specifically Shmuel from Bavel, Shmuel had a very positive relationship with the government, Bavel was a very welcoming society, and so on, and all the te- texts that rec- see these things as fundamentally illegitimate were coming from the Tanaim and from Eretz Israel, where it was the oppressive Roman government, and so on. So that's the point that's made by scholars, but regardless, lahalacha we adopt in Mahusadina, but that there are cases in which somebody is operating outside um, of those parameters. Um, so um, that's the first set of answers, and that's why it's considered to be gezel. Um, now the Gemara, however, continues with a new set of answers, which raises a whole new fun topic. Um, and let's take a look. Um, right. So um, the Gemara says like this: Rav Ashi Amar, three seven lines from the bottom of Kufi Gemara Bedalif, Rav Ravaji says, "Bemochas knani." Now that is not the correct word. It's bemochas goy. Um, you know that a text is not, as I've mentioned, I think multiple times. The standard word in the Gemara for a non-Jew is not akum, although that's what you see all the time in the Gemara. The standard word for, the Gemara, for a non-Jew in the Gemara is either goy or nochri. But because the, sometimes the Gemara says things that are disparaging um, and sometimes halachas that are um, uh, disfavorable towards uh, non-Jews. Uh, and the, when the church started finding out about this in the Middle Ages because of apostates who told them about it, they would start burning and censoring the Talmud. Uh, the Jews went through a period of self-censorship um, and changed all those references to Goy to Akum, which means which means like a star worshiper, so they could say it did not reply, apply to the current non-Jews. You know Egemar is particularly problematic if it doesn't even use the word Akum, but it uses the word Knani as a way of saying that this type of halacha was never relevant, it only applied to the these ancient Canaanite nations has nothing ever to do with anybody in the last three three millennia. So anyway, the Gemara here that is going to talk about a question about Gezel Knani, stealing from a Gezel Goy, stealing from a non-Jew, and that's how it appears in the Rishonim and in the manuscripts. In our Gemara, it consistently talks about Gezel Knani, okay, a Canaanite, but that's not the uh, that's the edited version, okay, that's the PG version, okay. So the Gemara says like this, um, okay, so Ravaj Yamar Bemochis Goy or Knani. We're talking about that the tax collector is a non-Jew. And therefore what? Just because the government... What did the government say in the case of tax collecting? The government said that, you know, we are you know, that we are sort of essentially selling our tax, uh, giving the right to collect taxes to this person because he paid us money to buy that right to collect taxes. And um, therefore, now everybody owes this person the money. That's what the government said. Okay, so fine. So we owe that person the money. Um, but if he's a non-Jew and you're allowed to steal from a non-Jew, which is the question, um, then I didn't do an Aveira by, steal, by stealing from him. Now, the, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. It's allowed for me to not pay the tax collector. Now, the question is that's a little strange because I mean I'm, we're going to get to 
the non-Jews saying give him it. But just to appreciate what we're also saying about Dina de Machusa, you would think the government rule is also that you have to pay the guy. So who cares if according to your laws you're allowed to, you know, whatever, not pay non-Jews. The government rule is you have to pay. And whatever happened to Dina de Machusa, Dina, you've got to follow the government rules. So this Gemara actually makes it sound that Dina de Machusa, Dina does not mean that I have to act in the ways that the government is dictating that I act. Like, just because it says that I have to not speed or cross at the crosswalks, that's not Dina de Machusa, Dina. That's telling me what to do. When I ask what to do, I go by, you know, what the Torah says. Okay? But it's the, what Dina de Dina is telling me is that they determine, essentially, uh, property rights. So, therefore, they can determine that I owe money, you know, to pay taxes and that they have a right to collect taxes, you know, and the right of eminent domain, eminent domain or whatever, you know, eminent, eminent. Uh, eminent. You know, they can define, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, a type of a hefker based in hefker. They can decide who owes who money, who has rights to property and so on, okay? But, and therefore, they say, you, uh, you know, Christopher here brought the, bought the right to collect taxes, he owns that tax money, and now you have to pay him. So Dina Malchusadina says he owns the tax money. But whether I, it's that they define property rights. Okay, whether or not I have to pay him, that's a halachic question. That's not a Dina Malchusadina question, right? So that actually is what seems to emerge from this Gemara, if you read it closely, because in the end of the day, who cares if he's a non-Jew or not a non-Jew? Why don't you just have to listen to what the government Meaning, says? If you're familiar with a government official, then you have to pay him. But since he's some other guy... The no, even if he were a government official... All the government, if he seizes the property, then it's a legitimate act of taking the property, and then he legitimately owns it, because the government decides who owns money. But if he tells me that I have to, I don't have to listen to the government, I don't have to follow what the government is telling me to do. The government just has a right to define property ownership, oh, okay? So the government can build a wall but not make Mexico pay, okay. <laughs> uh, Well, you know, again, they can come and they can seize my property, they can say I owe taxes, they can do all those types of things, and I don't say it's ghetto because they have a right to say who owns what but they can't say to me they can they, they, they can say to me I have to pay because they're going to send the, the police in if I don't you know they're entitled to do that but if I have a way and this is very unfortunate because you know well people will claim okay you know well you can cheat on your taxes because uh, alright they say I owe money but in the end of the day if non-Jews and they will see in this discussion you always have to pay your debts to non-Jews that's how I really demand that and just because the government says I do it all they all the government can say is that I owe the money. Yeah, right. Whether or not I have to pay it or not, like, so, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, what, this is. that's exactly what this is. So that is, you know, so there's two sort of, you know, issues here. One is the scope of Dinan Machus, and the other is this question about, you know, uh, stealing from non-Jews, which is what we're about to get to. Yes. In practical terms, it's almost shifting it to, like, if I get caught, Rather than what no, um, no. The nafkamina is is that uh, well. First of all, the nafkamina is if gezogoy is usher, then you do have to pay because you're stealing from the non-Jew. The other nafkamina is is that if they take money from you, Michael here and doesn't have to treat that as stolen funds because they had a right to take that money. You didn't have an obligation to pay it, but they had a right to take it. Okay, so then the, somebody else doesn't have to treat that as stolen funds. I, what I'm not getting is the disconnect between you're not having to do it and they have a right to take it. They went ahead and they seized your land and your, your field filled with esrog trees because you weren't paying off your back taxes. Right. Okay, now Michael goes and buys an esrog from the government. Can he use it on, on Sukkot? Is it, a, is it an esrog hagazel? It's not an esrog hagazel. Right. They had a right to say that you owed that money and they had a right to seize it. Right. Okay, but they, but, but they can't make you do something. Okay, they could with a police force, but they can't halachically make you do something. 
the law, but they, you know, but like I don't have to listen to it. They can't exactly enforce yeah. it. I mean, they can enforce it with right. the police, right. but that, but I don't I do not have a religious dina the machusadina obligation to follow it. Okay, that is what seems to be implicit in the statement of Ravashi. Is there a conceptual distinction that's going to be made that that is, you know, between the government and an individual? Well, that's the case of Mochas Omed Me'elov. If I'm just the local mafioso, then you're not obligated. Then, then, then that's the, now. At what stage? What defines a local government? You know, what, you know. Okay, that's a separate conversation. But if somebody is not a recognized legal authority, you know, then it would not apply. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Um, you know, in some places, whatever, you know, tribal countries or whatever, you know, the local mafioso is the legal political authority. So I'm serious, he is. You know, I mean, there's a lack of government control over the region. Right, warlords, exactly. I, met, I didn't mean that. I just meant your neighbor. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah. Like, oh, about the Gezel Goy question? Yeah. No. Okay, so let's go back, okay? So Rajamar Bemokis Goy, Knani. Okay, and therefore it's not a problem, and therefore you don't, you're not obligated to pay him, and if he takes it, it's Gezel. The time we turn to Brysa, Yisrael, again, the Goy, or notice you have a Knani Anas, like a, a violent Canaanite, okay, that's all an edited text. Shabol Adin. Mean, really Yisrael the Goy. No, it's just Yisrael the Goy. I think it's actually Yisrael the Nachri. Okay? okay. He didn't have the word Anas. Exactly. Shabaladin that are coming for a court case. If you can judge according to Jewish law and make the Jew win, then you judge by Jewish law. And you say, this is a government assuming that you have authority. And you say, look, this is our law. We're judging by our law. Or if you can make the Jew win applying non-Jewish law, you apply non-Jewish law. And you say, yeah, we're just judging by your laws. You're, um, okay. And if not, then you find some devious scheme in order to make the Jew win. So either you, t- first of all, there's always a question of jurisdiction of which law to apply. So it's always going to be in favor of the Israel. That is at least working within some parameters of some legal parameters, but obviously favor, it's a favor type, it's a, it's a favoritism type, you know, that's going on, selective and favoritism. But the third point, the second point is that even if you can't operate, make him win by any legal system, you find some device in order to help the Jew win. Yeah, that's what Rebbe Yishmael says. What is, I don't know what it means. Yeah. But it means you work uh, you, whatever you, you know you, you, you scare him you persuade him I don't know Rebbe, you, you trick him Rebbe Kiva Omer ain't by a lot of no you do not do any types of deceptions or tricking because of a sanctification of God's name which really also means like the reverse if he finds out what you've done then it'll be a chil Hashem so Gemara says Rebbe Akiva now Rebbe Akiva time to Kiddush Hashem the only hesitation Rebbe Akiva has is the Kiddush Hashem hesitation and in circumstances maybe where that wouldn't be a concern he wouldn't be bothered Haleka Kiddush Hashem if there would not be those considerations Brian, then you could go ahead and use some device and scheme etc so you see that it is not a problem of Gezel Goy because here fundamentally the Jew owes him the money and you're finding some way to prevent the Jew from having to pay. Could there ever be a circumstance where Kiddush Hashem is not at stake? Right, I mean... You and a Goy on an island. <laughs> right, I mean, so that's always the question. Right, exactly. right. yes, you're right. If you're very mocked on Kiddush Hashem, hopefully that closes the gaps. Okay, but at least anyway, in theory, this is what the Gemara says. The Gezel Goy Mishar, one minute, you can't just say that it's permissible to steal from a non-Jew. Vatan, you don't I'm Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Akiva, the same Rabbi Akiva that until now just made it a Kiddush Hashem point, he made the following drasha. Uh, where is Zafirin? 
like a goy shu also. How do you know it's forbidden to steal from a goy? This is about a Jew who sells himself as a slave and then we have to redeem him. Okay, and one of the people he might sell himself as a slave to is to a non-Jew. Okay, so it says it's geula, redemption, that you should not just forcibly, you know, retrieve him from the house of the non-Jew, but you have to actually buy back his freedom. Okay, and then this is even assuming that Jews have sovereignty. Okay, maybe you should, um, you know, maybe you should go ahead and basically try to, the way Tosis reads this, deceive the non-Jew, persuade him, pressure him, try to free the Jew in less than fully above board ways. What is the word Yigolomi? I don't know. Excuse me. You should, uh, you should, you know, do the, uh, you know, you, you know, you should uh, do the books with the purchaser. You have to be very meticulous. You know, you have to be very above board and buy him back at his true value from the non-Jew. So even though there's a mitzvah here to be poda Jew who's a, who's a slave in a non-Jewish home, nevertheless, you cannot use any deception or whatever you have. You can't, you can't steal him away. So you see, Gezel Goy is Asr. Amar Rav Yosef, Lokasher. So how do you reconcile these two Rebbe Akivas? You know, or this statement with trying to claim what we've been claiming about the case of the tax collector. It's not difficult. When is it that it's forbidden? It's permissible by a standard non-Jew. When is it permissible? When is it forbidden? When it's a Ger Toshav. Somebody who actually is, you know, observes the seven Noahide laws, lives among us, like a more uh, law-abiding, you know, type of a non-Jew. So this so, is to say then, you know, that if Right, but, correct. But the Gemara is not going to keep with that. I mean, though, it is a good point in general. What Michael says. Well, let's see what the Gemara's answer. Then I'll get back to that. So Amar Rabbi 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 said to him, "V'hat Shavayu Gabi Adarik Sivay." One minute. This pasuk that we're learning about redeeming the Jew is, in those psukim, it talks both about Ger Toshav and about a standard guy. Okay, Sivay. Lo lecha el because in a, dr- a drasha that says like you know because you're going to like deal incorrectly with money of Shvis of Shmita because all this is in the parsha of Shmita, you'll wind up having to sell yourself and you won't sell yourself just to a fellow Jew you'll have to sell yourself to a ger toshav it says then you'll sell to a ger, yourself to a ger for the ger tzedek not only to a righteous convert a ger toshav but even a non-Jew a ger toshav toshav Okay, and then it goes on to say mishpachat ger. So, what does mishpachat ger coming to include? That's even a full, a full non-Jew, not even a ger toshav. You're selling yourself. Kashur and then it goes into the verse continues as ola eker mishpachat ger, or to an eker, whatever that means. But uh, here we're interpreting it as You're not only selling yourself to a non-Jewish family, you're selling yourself to a to a to a pagan temple. You're now going to be working on the wood chopper for a pagan. Temple. The okay. Acre, I guess so. I don't know. Anyway, so we're reading this pasuk that you can sell yourself to the most offensive, you know, theologically offensive type of a context, and nevertheless, the, the, we can't come and steal you away. We have to actually legitimately buy your freedom. Okay. So you see that Gezel Goy is Aser. Um, El Amar Rava. So how are we going to reconcile it? So rather says Rava. Obviously, you could say it's a machlokes. But if we want to reconcile, well, but the point is you have Rabbi Akiva in both places. So Rava says Lokash. It's not difficult. Kan Zelo, Kan And this is actually how it's Paskin Lahalacha. 
stealing is usur. We're actually actively taking something out of somebody's control and taking it to mind. If it's already... If it, right, 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 right. If it's money that's owed, and I'm not paying money that's owed, I'm not actively stealing something away, I'm just passively not paying up my debts, that's permissible. So how does that explain the, the, the evidence? So taxes is not paying my debts. That's why if it's a non-Jew, it's considered I can go ahead, it's considered... Now, it's still a little bit funny, because A, it's one thing to say I don't have to pay my debts. Yeah, I want to point out that it's even more deeply problematic, because we're saying the idea that it was a non-Jewish tax collector to explain why it was considered to be gezo, why the money in this pouch was considered to be gezo. It's one thing to say, all right, it's only paying a debt, you don't, you're allowed to not do that, okay? But now we're saying, if I actually did pay the debt, or if he seized the money, it's considered gezo. It still doesn't explain why it's considered gezo, right? Remember, this answer is explaining, if Dina Machus Dina, why is the money of the tax collector gezo? So saying that I don't have an obligation to pay it does not explain why when I do pay it or why when he does take it it is gezo. So that's anyway just question number one. But the tax question is a case of Hafkaz Havaso. The question about um, when, when they're coming to the court case and we basically try to persuade the non-Jew or trick the non-Jew to say that the Jew doesn't owe him money that's also Hafkaz Havaso. That's a passive not paying. That's allowed. But when it comes to taking the Jew out of the non-Jewish household right taking the, the slave the Jewish slave out of the non-Jewish household that's stealing something from the non-Jew that's not allowed now the Gemara makes one more point about this and then I want to go back to something no a Jewish slave is not that the non-Jew owns the, the body of the Jew it's that the, non, the Jew is somehow like you know working off a debt he owes service to the non-Jew so if he were to steal away if he were to steal away he wouldn't be giving the non-Jew the service he owes him but he wouldn't be stealing anything he's not owned by the non-Jew so the Gemara says no, Rabbi Rabbi disagrees with that Rabbi goes according to his reasoning no, there is a way in which an Evadivri is not owned to the same degree as a non-Jewish slave but maybe it's an ownership but if if somebody is my my Jewish slave I actually have property rights in that person so if you were if I was the non-Jew and you were to steal my Jewish slave away from me you would not just be preventing me from getting the labor that I'm entitled to you would be stealing away from me something in which I have property rights that would be Gezel Goy and that would be Aser so this actually winds up to be the Lacha that Gezel Goy is Aser you combine it with the earlier discussion about the scope of Dina de Malchusadina and you get obviously very de- uh, deeply you know disturbing claims relating to things like paying taxes and so, and whatnot, you know so whatever that's obviously a whole sheer in itself either way it's disturbing even if it was about a more bigger thing about paying even if it was just about not paying somebody money you owe them now Michael does say correctly that you know give, the Gemara doesn't sort of this is within Gezel Goy there are these distinctions it seems like the, the, that if somebody really was Gertoshav that the Gemara is not rejecting what it said before like none of the none of this is true by Gertoshav Gertoshav you're not allowed to do any of this stuff so it is you know you could come and say that nowadays you know there have been those that say something along these lines like you know everybody who's law abiding citizens and so on you know the general presumption that people basically you know not everybody but the basic presumption that's the, what society expects of people and those are the norms of society like everybody at least for these type of monetary halachas has the status of a gertoshav which is basically you know and there are definitely postgim not only contemporary 21st century postgim throughout the years that have basically tried to do away with these types of distinctions and claim that you know we live with you know God fearing 
non-Jews or law-abiding non-Jews and so on and these types of distinctions were only present you know in societies in which non-Jews would be you know grabbing every opportunity to uh, take advantage of Jews right Right. now by the way now sometimes they're saying it because of censors sometimes they're saying it because they really believe it if you look at the bottom at the footnote here there's a little Aleph in Rashi Aleph in a half uh, parentheses okay look what it says now obviously the reason they're printing this in the Gemara is not is the reason they're printing this in the Gemara is not just to tell, teach you halacha. It never tells us halacha otherwise. You know, nobody does ever glossing. You know, that would be what Michael would want. Somebody to constantly gloss and tell us what the halacha lemaisa is. The reason it's telling it to here is because obviously this is a very deeply disturbing issue and it's to deal with, you know, you know it's a type of a, uh, of a dealing with the reality of how are the non-Jews around us going to deal with this if they read this. So if you look at the footnote, or how, what are we going to think about it? Anyway, Okay, because they treat other people's property as, you know, as, 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 as they don't respect other people's property, and they, you know, that's why, you know, they felt, the Chazal felt that they, it was legitimate to at least do Havkas Havaso. Okay, um, so, and if you similarly see, if you look at, at the next one, the bet, we didn't get up to yet, but whatever. Or, so it gives both reasons. Either they were real pagans and they didn't, were not basically, you know, sort of like God-fearing people or they were real like pagans. Um, or they also were people that didn't respect property. So there are these things. Sometimes they're said because of the censor. Sometimes they're said because genuinely the post can feel that how can you live with such these, these unjust types of, you know, types of laws and laws also that encourage, you know, terrible types of uh, acts, uh, moral acts among Jews. So that to understand, to put this in some type of a historical context and to see that it's no longer sort of relevant nowadays. But what remains deeply disturbing is that people who are looking for a, a, a basis for, uh, you know, cheating and not being, you know, honest in monetary matters, you know, especially when dealing with non-Jews, you know, can base themselves on Gemaras like these. So, well, you know, interestingly, like, just yes. thinking about this contemporarily, there have been so many people in the latest housing crisis just walked away from their mortgages, right? Right. Jews and non-Jews, not just, right. you know, everybody. Right. Like, you know, it's, just, it's the same thing. Like, I don't pay them. We can right. Right, although there, there's property to be seized or whatever, but right, you know, and there the right. I understand. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. All right, we're we're, we're going to go on with this topic. Okay, so um, now the Gemara says like this: So now we have it said black and white. Okay, yes, directly stealing is forbidden. Not returning his lost object is permissible. That's sort of like Hafkas Halvasso. You're just passively not giving. You know, one could say that it even makes more sense, you know, since when do I have to return lost objects? Is that necessarily obviously true that there, I should be obligated to return somebody's lost object? On the other, you know, it, maybe it's even less of an obligation than if I borrowed money. I borrowed money, I really, that creates an obligation to pay back. On the other hand, here it is a concrete physical object. It's not like an abstract debt. Right? It's not like I owe you $100. There's a concrete object in my house that's yours that I'm not giving to you. I found your iPhone I'm not giving it to you, okay? Assuming that you don't know that I have it, because otherwise it's a chil Hashem. So oh, you know, does it also imply that the, the thing above then, like about the Gezo Kanani? Yeah, we it, said that it's us, sir. No, but, no, 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 but even the Gezo Kanani, we talk about all that, but like if it's chil Hashem, if they're going to... Yeah, chil Hashem is, is going to be revisited. Anytime there's a chil Hashem issue, of course, you really just want to say to somebody, yeah, it's also to steal your taxes because you'll get found out and then it'll be chil Hashem. Like the only re- 
reason is a Chil Hashem. But it is true. You know, if you take Chil Hashem seriously, hopefully that prevents you from doing 99% of these things. Okay? Like, yes? Again, isn't that like saying if I get caught? You're saying if he finds out... Well, what you say yeah. is it's awesome for you to do it because you might get caught. <laughs> but then somebody will say, no, I'm really good at doing this. I'm not going to get caught. I don't have to be concerned about Chil Hashem. You know, then we can debate. Well, how much likely does it have to be that I'm going to get caught that I have to be concerned about the possible Chil Hashem? Well, okay, so some who want to bring, you know, who want to obviously address all these pro- ethically and pro- problem, all these ethical problems, want to reframe Kiddush Hashem and saying, it's not just what other people will perceive. Something that leads to a Chil Hashem is obviously something that is intrinsically morally problematic. It's not just that, oh, those Goyim have weird ideas that you're supposed to pay your debts and it's going to be a Chil Hashem. Like, if people think that this is a desecration of the divine name, then that means that there's something inherently problematic with this act. Okay? But I'm not sure that's what the Gemara is saying, but that definitely is a desire that some people have to read in, in a Gemara like this. I was going to also build on something similar. Like, it's not just, I might get caught and punished. I don't have a responsibility to the reputation of the church. No, that is what it means. It's not punished. It's right. that I'll get caught and then people will know that this from Jew was, ste- stealing it, was cheating on his... Exactly. That is what it means. Yeah, that is what it means. Yeah, it's not the punish, but, yeah. but if I never get caught, there's no Chiddush Chil Hashem. You know, so then we can debate. Ah, well, I think I won't get caught. I'm not concerned about Chil Hashem. I know that I'm not going to get caught. But yes, the point is that taking Chil Hashem to the next logical step is there's a reason why it's a Chil Hashem, you know? So, okay. So now the Gemara says like this. Okay, the not only so is Havkas Havasimutter, you don't have to return his lost object. You shall consume all the nations that God gives you. When they're given over to you, like when you've conquered them in war, then when, that's when you have some right to seize their property. Okay, okay, but if they're not, now maybe that also reflects a reality like not just we're not conquering them in war, but also reflects a reality like uh, we're living in Gullus. You know, we're living under, you know, their rule. Uh, we got to sort of uh, incorporate that, that, that reality into our, into our lives. Anyway, so anyway, but you're not allowed to steal. How do you know that's permissible not to return their lost object? To all of the lost objects of your brother. Whatever, Lagoy. Okay, you do it to your brother, but not to a non-Jew. If you look again at the side, Shinoagim, the little margin on the left, Shinoagim, Hefker, Bikinyane, Acherim. All these glosses, right, because anybody reading this is aware about how problematic these statements is. Okay? Um, one minute, I'm going to, uh, and if you look at the gloss on the right, you have a similar point. They will, if they are your Achicha, not because they're your fellow Jew, they're, they're your Achicha, because they have a just legal system who respects property, then you are Chayef to return the law. The Ger Toshav, right. Anyway, so there's a constant glossing going on here, right? B- both, I think, because of the obvious moral issues and also possibly just because of a concern about how, well, how some outsider going to read this text. Yes. I don't think it's going to be answered, but I'm, what's my problem here is both the, both the Persian Zoroastrian society and the Romans 
Right. Had very serious legal systems. Right. It wasn't like a hacker. Correct. So with the Romans, right. So there's two answers. That's a good question. Number one is with the Romans. I don't know enough about this, but clearly there, you know, there was all the Hadrianic persecutions and so on. They might have had a legal system, and but that might have been side by side with persecuting and exploiting the Jews. So what that does to perceive how just the whole system is is one thing. But the other point is is that. You know, uh, I think there's a little bit of a historical fiction going on here. Meaning, when we try to put these Gemaras in a historical context, is it the right, the real historical context? Or is it a claimed historical context in order to somehow limit the scope of what's being said? Now, but I actually do believe that whether or not the legal system was just, I actually do believe that a lot of these halachas emerged from a thousands of years or, you know, or hundreds of years of hostile, violent, non-Jewish, you know, dominion over Jews. And that leads to a certain sense about, like, you know, like czarist Russia, whatever you can steal away from the czar and save for yourself is a mitzvah, you know? Because that's the reality of this hostile government. It leads to a very different type of a perception, you know? So I mentioned the other day, you know, Rav Moshe basically writes a truth and says, yeah, of course you can't, like, uh, like, like cheat on the regents or or like, you know, apply for a government grant that, grant that you don't reserve, misrepresent yourself. He says, this is the Medina Shochesed. This is not Tsarist Russia. You know, this is a government that cares about its citizens and protects its citizens. So, you know, it, that very powerfully colors, you know, your whole perspective on these things. Yes. I, I, I found that interesting about the No, no, no. That's not, clearly not what the Pshad of the Gemara means. That's, it's like a Me'iri read of the Gemara, but it's being claimed in the gloss as a way of toning down what's being said. Okay, the Gemara means Jew. Okay, okay. Maybe that means you don't have to pick it up and return it. You can leave it on the ground. Okay, you don't have to run after him. Once you already picked it up, then maybe you're, you're holding on to his object. Maybe you have to give it back. No, it says, Anybody, anything your brother lo- loses that he loses and you find. So it sounds like you found it, you picked it up. And nevertheless, if it's not your brother's, you don't have to return it. Tanya, we tell him the right Hashem. Now we're going to make a stronger statement about that. If there is Chil Hashem, which presumably means if there's even a concern of Chil Hashem, but again, that's always a question, how do you define what the scope is? Then you have to even return the lost, you can't even keep a lost object to yourself. And presumably it's the same about Havgas Havaso. Okay? Amr Shmuel, if, however, let's say they make a mistake, okay, they accidentally, you're in a business deal and they didn't catch a point or you're at the you're at supermarket and they give you extra change, okay, you don't have to return it. That's like even better than Hafkas Havaso. Okay, you're not like actively have incurred a debt and now you're actively denying it. You're just not pointing out to them like a mistake that I mean, they made. Okay. Well, no, we're going to see that every claim here has to accommodate the Chil Hashem concern. Okay, so in a case where you can accommodate the Chil Hashem, and that's maybe why he says Ta'uso, he's not even aware that he made a mistake. So now, how do you, so won't be a Chil Now, maybe he's testing you. Maybe he'll find out he made a mistake. So we're going to actually see cases like that in a minute. I have to tell you, the flip of the Chil Hashem is the Chil Hashem. 
the biggest, the biggest and the least expensive Kiddush Hashem ever, which happens multiple times in my life, is somebody gives you a change at the supermarket and they gave you like an extra dollar or an extra 20 cents and no, actually you gave me extra and here's it back. Like, people are like shocked out of their mind. Like, who the heck, you know, points out that they got extra money and is returning it, okay? So anyway, but here is the point about if they make a mistake in your favor, like it's Monopoly. You know, it's always funny, Monopoly. What is that? Like, bank error in your favor, collect $50? Yeah, if they ever find out, you're giving back those $50. Okay, so anyway, now, this is saying you're allowed to keep it, okay, but of course, there's still going to be a Kiddush Hashem problem, a Hashem problem, so let's take a look. Kiyad Shmuel, like Shmuel, Zavan, again, Mikusi or Migoy, Likna de Dahava, he brought a, Raji um, says, uh, like a censer, like a fire pan of gold, the Mar de Parzula, but the non-Jew thought it was copper, so he brought it at the price for copper, and Bedalid Zuze, for four Zuz, so Rashi says, what that, so very cheap, and not only that, the evil of Chazuze, and if, if that, as if that weren't enough, he really only paid him three Zuz for the four Zuz price, because the Jew, non-Jew wasn't counting the money, okay? So, so that what mean? yeah, that's what, that's what Rashi says it means. I don't know, it's, it's vague. He he added an extra zone? You know what they said over there? They added one. So it was like, you think, oh, he made a mistake in the counting. He also made a mistake that it was really a, a bronze one. So he, would, like, he did it to, like, as an even greater harama. So it's like, oh, he wasn't being careful at all. He didn't notice it was gold. He didn't notice, it, you know, he overpaid. So like that way he sort of masked the fact. Right, but, Shmu- but, but, but I don't understand. Shmuel is buying. He's buying a gold one right. under the presumption. So Shmuel is the one to, paying. He only paid, and, you know, and he's like paying the going rate for a bronze one, which is... That's what I just said. He, no, but then he added a fifth right. so that the guy would think... That he overpaid. That he overpaid for that and not even be thinking, oh, I got the better deal. So oh. he minimized the chances of there being it. That's, yeah. That's not what he says. No, Rashi says he underpaid. All right, fine. Anyway, whatever. Moving on. Okay. On our way, anyway, Shmuel said to him... Exactly. So Shmuel then said to him, though, So Shmuel said, look, what do I know? I don't know. Gold, copper, the value of this metal, whatever. I'm not counting the money. You count. I'm trusting you regarding everything. So because he explicitly said he's trusting him, right, then it means that even if he finds out that he was cheated, you know, it won't be a chil Hashem. Because, well, like he said, he didn't know. He was trusting me. Clearly, uh, you know, I should accept because he was telling me that he was trusting me about it. So that's his way, that's his way of protecting himself from a possible chil Hashem that could emerge. What? Um... Where's Mark Ralph Kahana? We are, we're not up to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped the line. I skipped the line. Thank you. I skipped the line. Right. That was the end of Shmuel's case. So I skipped the line. Ralph Kahana zavin mikusi mea ve'estim chavita b'mea. So he bought 120 barrels, you know, at the price of 100. The evil lachadzus. And somehow also, he he got it at a too low of a price and he even paid less. Or the way you're saying, he paid a little more so the guy was distracted. Whatever it was. Amalei. Okay. And now here he says, chazi dalakasamichna. Look, I don't know. I'm not counting I'm not paying so close attention I'm trusting you okay and that way because he said I'm trusting you it protected him from a possible Chil Hashem type of a concern but, that, but, okay. if, he, but if he's doing that that's, you know, he's paying less and he's actively you know no it's a Tawud no no he's paying a, a, that's he knows he's doing that right, right. he knows he's doing that so right. 
So you're saying, why is that gazelle? So, so I'm not, Ta'ud, it's not, not the si- close enough attention how much I'm giving in. That's right. Kuto. Yeah, that's what the Gemara seems to be. That's a type of Havkaz Havaso. I'm not actively sticking my hand in his pocket and taking money out of his pocket. I'm just not giving him everything he deserves. It's a type of like Havkaz Havaso. But you're right. It's not the same degree of Ta'uso that he handed over the money to me and I don't have to hand it back. Right. Right. I understand. I took a gold thing from him at a very cheap price. Yeah, it's obviously a little bit of a different. You know, they, anyway, they have those stories. Right, that some people go, somebody goes. To, I mean, there was a recent story about this in the newspaper a year or two ago. You know, somebody went to like some uh, some uh, uh, garage sale or whatever it is. You know, and somebody was selling these like. You know, every time you go some, you know, to one of these like uh, caves, they sell you these like you know these like colored stones. Like you get a whole bucket of them for like two dollars or five dollars. Anyway, so somebody was selling them, and somebody was like looking through, and he saw something that actually was like a precious stone. It actually was like some you know emerald or whatever. You know, and he bought it for like a dollar or something like that. You know. And then there's these other, and technically, yeah, you know. I bought a McKillop from a non Jew on the street for $20. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Is that Gezel? Well, I don't know. The question is also, did he have? Yeah, how did yeah. he have it? You know, but that's like that might be a Matsumi Yadam type of an right. issue. You know, then there was this other story I remember in the New York Times a few years ago about this Frum Jew that bought a like a like a desk or whatever from somebody, and then you know he pulled aside the panel, he found like whatever hundred thousand dollars, and he returned it to the yeah. person. Huh. You know, so anyway, but yeah, so all of those are sort of things about with you know, anything short of putting your hand in the guy's pocket seems to sort of be in this. T- Uso, Hafkaz, Halvaso type of case. But okay. Thing, I'm trying to understand this. This is the here saying, though, you can get around it and there won't be a Chol and then you're totally okay. Right. So is this. It's not a sita yashaveta obeneasha. I mean, that's what I said. That's why you have all those glosses on the side that are trying to close that to close that gap because it is deeply disturbing and from an ethical, you know, perspective. But then how does it? We were saying before about the you know, about the whole tax. I thought we went past this and then no, really it's all consistent. Gezel uh, gezel goy is aser hafkaz halvaso is mutter as long as you avoid chil Hashem. Okay. So it's just more of the same thing. Exactly. Okay. Variation. I mean, whatever. Illustrating it, nuancing it, but it's all the same. Okay. Um, Ravina Zavin Dikla. I, I remember growing up that there was like a story, I think, in the, the Jewish press. You know, they had like these, I don't know, Tales of Our Sages, all these, all, all these, whatever. All the, anyway, I, somehow it stuck in my head. They had this one story about some case where the czar, whatever it was, you know, demands from the Jew, like taxes, whatever, some unfair thing, right? And he, has to, he has him like, you know, he has to give him like, you know, a... Uh, uh, a field of like you know uh, you know a hundred you know uh, you know a hundred uh, yards by a hundred yards of grain right so the guy says like he says look I don't have it all together like let's could I give it an installment so now I'll give fifty by fifty and then a month from now I'll give another fifty by fifty so, <laughs> so that was just half of a hundred by a hundred right because it's a hundred by fifty anyway so this was like showing how brilliant the Jew was how he managed anyway so it's a little you know whatever I mean if the government is the czar's government stealing your grain okay Okay, wonderful. If it's a real debt that you owe, you know, that raises these, like, moral problems. Okay. Anyway, Ravina Zavindikla, uh, Ravina bought a, a palm tree, who Vikuti with Slacha. He and a non-Jew were partners in the palm tree. Okay, Samaritan, whatever. Amalei a. he said, this actually might be Kuti, actually. What does Steinsaltz have? Does anybody have Steinsaltz? No. This actually might be Kuti, because we switched from Knani to Kuti. I have to check it. Kuti, you're also in the article. Yeah, but I, I don't, what did the article say before? It said Knani before, right? right? Yeah, no, so I want to know what the actual original text was. Okay, anyway, who, anyway, so he said to his attendant, 
Kodum the icy me ikaro. No, no, Tzalcha means to, to chop up for firewood. Okay, he said to his attendant, Kodum the icy me ikaro. Go and get my half of the tree from the base of the tree, which is obviously much thicker than the top of the tree. Okay, Tikuti mean yoni yada, because the uh, Samaritan, if that's the right girsa, he only knows numbers. He, does, he knows quantity, not quality. That's not getting all then. Like, that's just like being smart in business, right? Meaning, no, is it we both agreed, we agreed we're going to pay for the tree equally and split it. And my idea of splitting it is I get the bottom half, which is 80% of the wood. Huh. Okay? Meaning <laughs> like he wants... Like, he know, no, he knows that you got, you know, you got 10 logs and I got 10 logs. The fact that my 10 logs were three times as big as his 10 logs, he's not, he doesn't pay attention to that. All right? All right. Um, Ravashi, having Ka'azib or Ravashi was going on the way. He saw a, a, like a, a, a branch of a, of a vine um, in, the gar- in the garden. And there was a cluster of grapes. Only Lushami, he said to his attendant, go check that, out that. If that belongs to, again, Samaritan, I want to check. I just have to stop to check what the Steinzoldskirsa was. This, this really is Kusi. So you know, this wouldn't be allowed. Right, right, right. So it doesn't mean that, but these days doesn't apply. Right. No, no, no. It's all goy. It's not kusi. Goy, goy, goy. It's all goy. Okay. 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 So, go and see. I, why, why did it switch from, from Kanani to Kuti? Maybe because this is a little less offensive. I don't know. It's a fascinating question. Anyway, okay. Zil chazi id goy ninhu. I see. If it's a non-Jew, if it's a non-Jews, take the cluster. If you throw ninhu low, I see. If it's a Jew's not. Now that seems like a straight case of Gezel Goy, right? You're just stealing the grapes off the vine. So, um, I see. Shama who Goy, so a certain Jew, non-Jew who was, uh, who was, who was like there, there by the road heard, he was sitting in the garden and he heard what was this exchange. Amalei, he said, the Goy Shari? What? You're allowed to steal from a Goy? Just take the grapes? Amalei, no, no, no. Goy Shakil Dami. No, if it was a Goy, he'd be okay with me taking it. I'm planning on paying. It's just so I have to ask permission before I take it. So if it was a guy, I know he'd be okay. They tend to be okay as long as you pay them in the end. You know, guy, and all they care about is money. Okay, but Yisrael, <laughs> Yisrael, but if it's a Jew, he would not agree to it. I can't take it on the assumption that he'd be okay with me paying. Now, Tosa says, was this just an excuse yeah. or did he really mean it? So Tosa says, the whole dominant position of this Gemara is Gezel Goy is Usser. And if he held that Gezel Goy was Mutter, then he, the Gemara would have made that more clear. Right? The Gemara here has completely consistent that, so the Tosos assumes that he really did, was serious about this. He really did mean it. He meant to take it and to pay back. So but nevertheless, right, exactly. That's at least what Tosos says. Of course, then, you know, you can say, then what's it doing in this discussion? Alright, anyway, Gufa, Amr Shmuel. Now, that was a nice, fun, and very weighty and whatever challenging discussion about Gezel Goy. Now we're going to go back to Dina and Machusadina. Okay, Gufa. Amr Shmuel, Dina and Machusadina. The law of the government is the law. Amr Rava, Teda, you should know. Dikatli Dikli, they chop down palm trees, uh, meaning they say people owe them taxes, they go into their property, they cut down their palm trees, they gashri gishri, and they make, uh, they make uh, bridges out of it, and we use the bridges. So the fact is, if we treated that when the government sees property, if we treated it as gezel, right, so... You know, so then why would we be able to use these bridges? It's made out of stolen wood. So it proves, again, not that when they say something you have to listen to them. It proves that they have right to 
seize property, to uh, impose monetary obligations, and so on. If it's Gazelle, you wouldn't. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is that we have no compunctions making use of, you know, the benefits and the property, whatever, that the government takes in taxes from other people. So clearly, we do not consider it all to be Gazelle. All right? But again, it's not saying that we have to actually, like, follow the laws. That's not the point that's being made here. No, maybe that's because maybe it is Gezel, but maybe the owners were Miyaish, and I don't know, what is it? Is it Yesh and Shina Hashem, or something? Anyway, but maybe it works within the normal laws of Gezel. Amalei, so he said, No, if it weren't really so then it wouldn't be good Yesh. Now, what do you mean it wouldn't be good Yesh? It would sort of be good Yesh, because, like, I don't care whether technically it's the law or not, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get it back from the government. No, here's why it wouldn't really be good yeish. I'm sorry, no, it ends there. It would not be good yeish. Okay, so it's not really, it's really a strange claim, because what do you mean it wouldn't be good yeish? Whether or not Halacha recognizes it, um, um, you know, uh, then, uh, you know, I, I'm never hoping to get it back. Uh, they took it, they're stronger than I am. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, it's like Rashi right before the lines get wide in the Gemara. Rashi says, he says, who cares that it's Yeish? It's not, Yeish isn't enough. You need Yeish and Shina Rishus. Okay? The Enkan Shina Rishus, the Rishus are Rabbi Mehain. The Shina Maitha Nami Leka, the Asha Nami, Guva the Diklamikri. So Rashi says, the point is, Yeish is not enough to explain, not that the owners aren't Yeish. Of course they're Yeish. They never hope they're going to get their palm fees back from the government. But it would not be enough to explain how we could use it without hesitation. So the fact that we use what the government takes without any compunctions and hesitation, proves that we're not dealing with Gezel. Proves that they have a right to take it. If they say the person owes it, they have a right to take it. But now the Gemara goes on. The Gemara says, one minute. Zaha, says the Gemara, the tax collectors aren't following their, what, the, what the king says. Say, well, well, we'll see what they're doing. And therefore, like we said before, when they out, act outside of the parameters of the government, it should, be, it, it should not be din. Why are they not doing what the king says? So they, the, the king says, go take 5% of palm trees from every copse, is that what's called the copse? You know, from every swamp, from every person has to contribute 5%. Okay, and they are lazy. So what they do is, they find one patch of palm trees, and they cut down it all, rather than distributing it among the 100 people in the village. The Inu, they cut it all down from one swamp, from one patch of land. Okay, and so they're not following. The king says to take it equally. No, when, when the king gives over this uh, agency, this assignment, this job, they have discretion, and they're operating with the king's permission. Okay, now, so meaning before we said you can go outside, like you can ask more money than you're entitled to, but this is a discretionary matter. Now, why is it discretionary? You know, it's not fair. One person is suffering the whole tax burden. So the government says no. The Inu outside because the villagers, it's their fault. They have a way of dealing with this situation. What's their way of dealing with this situation? What they should do is, is that they should go ahead and get the village together and operate that everybody contributes, right, and get everybody to pay equally and give that money to the king's uh, officer. And if they're not, and they know what the king's officer can do and what his discretion is, and if he's going to come and take, he's working within his discretion. Maybe then they have a 
right to go and the guy who had all of his policies taken to go to the rest of the villagers and say I want to be compensated you got to share in the burden or whatever but the point is all of this is within acceptable parameters and therefore it's within Dina the Malchusa Amarava. So now that we're dealing with like some, what are some of those parameters? We're going to spell it out. Amarava. Man de If a guy is found in the threshing floor and the you know the uh, the, king, the the tax collector comes in, okay, and he's got there now there's the grain of a hundred of ten people in that threshing floor. He happens to be there when the tax collector comes in, and the tax collector just takes from him, okay, because he's the one there. But he takes the amount appropriate for the full amount of grain in the whole threshing floor. He's basically making him pay for other people's debts. Okay, so the Gemara says, he says, Paramans of the Malka. He, yes, he pays the tax, and the way Rashi says it is, you know, similar to what we said before, and then, that's acceptable. That's within the tax collector's discretion, and then the other people who had the grain, they have to reimburse him. I mean, that's not being said in the Gemara, but that's like what is being assumed. Okay, but that is, the guy is still operating, the tax collector, within the discretion he has. Let everybody else work out, you know, spread, you know, sh- you know, sharing in the burden. The Hanim Yili Shutva, that's only if they are like partners in the grain and he winds up so paying for more than his share. Of Arisa, if somebody was just a sharecropper, Arisa Hudakamafik, then he is just taking out his percentage. He doesn't really owe the taxes um, and therefore the tax collector is not operating within his discretion to make the sharecropper pay the taxes. Okay, and then it would be more of a gezo concern and so on. Alright, so now the Gemara continues. Bar Masar Bar Masar Miavet. Now, um, I actually, okay, um, um, okay, so this is a similar point, okay, this is that basically I can go ahead and, um, uh, one minute. Right. I can go ahead. I'm the king's tax collector. I can go ahead and for David and say, David, you know, I'm really having a hard time getting dope to pay me his taxes, but I know that you can exert pressure. You're his friend or whatever. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to seize your car until you can, until Dove can pays up his taxes. Dove doesn't have a nice car to seize. You've got this nice little Jaguar, which I've had my eyes on. I'm going to seize your Jaguar until Dove pays his taxes. Okay? And I actually am operating within my discretion to do it. Okay? Because that actually, you know, that's considered within the Dina de Malchusa. Um, in the end, you know, Dove has to pay. It's not I'm going to, you have to pay. He's going to have to pay, but I can do this as a way of getting him to pay. The Hanimili, Duvla, the Barla Ara, the Charga. That's only like a land tax and a head tax. Okay? The high shot of this year. If it's last year's taxes, which I've already given the money to the king that I owe for last year's taxes, and now I'm collecting back taxes. In that case, when I'm collecting back taxes, I have less discretion. Okay, hold the Isaias Malka since the, the king was appeased, meaning whatever the king collected for last year, he basically, even if it wasn't the full amount, he's, uh, you know, he made his peace with it. That's what we were able to collect. So even though I have a right to collect back taxes, since it's not as much of, you know, any more of the, of the moment, right, then that, uh, my discretion is a little bit less. In that case, even the Faiz Malka Khalif, like, okay, last year is last year. So presumably it means I still can collect taxes, but I don't have as much discretion to do this type of pressure. The Amar 
Now Rav also says, Honey the diary dari people that graze animals, this is really seems to be shifting the conversation to somewhere else. People that are grazing animals, if they do it within the tchum, like within the you know, the re- region right outside the city, they don't go far from the city, you can't buy animals from them. My time since they stay so close to the city, the, vi- the village, the other animals of the village get mixed up with there. So this is really going back to the concern of the Mishnah. We're no longer Dino Machusa, we're no longer Gezel Goy. It's like you, somebody has something the same way the tax collector had money and some of the money in the pouch was stolen, or all the money in the pouch was stolen, or whatever. This shepherd has sheep, and some of the sheep aren't his. So therefore, you have to avoid buying sheep from him because there might be stolen sheep among them. Okay? Um, however, if they only graze their sheep outside of the city, like extent, long, far away from the city, then you can, then you don't have to be concerned that there are other sheep mixed up. But if the owners were running after the shepherd and say, wait, wait, you got my sheep mixed up in there. In that case, even, presumably, even if they can't prove it, but nevertheless, if that's, if that seems if the circumstances are indicating that then you can't buy from them even outside okay Machis Rava Rava announced Vitema Rav Huna the Salkin Le'elu Dinachim Lutata those that go above and come down sounds like Yaakov's ladder those that go to Eretz Yisrael and come down from, and come from Eretz Yisrael to here has the following halacha he announced it Haibar Yisrael the other Sadusa Lukusi now we're shifting back to a type of Adina the Malchusa discussion or a Jew and a non-Jew who are coming to court but it also raises other issues about participating in a non-Jewish court system. Okay, so again, oh, this actually is a good. Right? If, an, if a Jew has, knows testimony to help support a non-Jew, okay, um, and presumably who has a case against a Jew, okay, but you actually know that the non-Jew is right, you saw the Jew borrow money and so on, right, should you go and testify or not? Okay, and so the question, so he says, the tabu there's a question whether those three words are in the Gemara, okay, and he, you, you have not been summoned to court, then you shouldn't go. Some say even if you have been summoned, you shouldn't go. There's a question if those three words are there. But reading it with those words, you know testimony for, to support, to help a non-Jew, you have not been summoned to court, um, and you go and you testify in a non-Jewish court, supporting a non-Jew, in his case, against a Jew, in that case, we put you in cheren. You should not be doing that. Okay? Now, my timer, what's the reason? What if it was, you're saying there's a question. You were, yeah, the non-Jew was right. Okay? Right. But nevertheless, don't go to their court supporting them. Now, why is that? Is that because of a general... It, well, we're going to see. You could raise generally you're not supposed to participate in non-Jewish courts at all. Even take your fellow Jew to a non-Jewish court. Right? There's, there's that whole... You know, there's whole literature about that. It could just be because, you know, you're always supposed to try to help the Jew win even if it's not really deserved, like we sort of discussed before. Okay? But it's one thing to tell me I don't have to pay. It's another thing to say if I try to make... To, 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 to have justice served, right, even though maybe then somehow I did something wrong, like, you know, so let's see what the Gemara says. My time... You said it's a questionable phrase whether he was asked or not asked. Right. So if he's asked... If he's asked, then there's more of an argument that he can go regardless because then he'll get in right. trouble if he doesn't go. Right. So why right. communicating if he wasn't? Yeah. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't have that phrase, then the answer would be yes, but we have the phrase. It was only when he wasn't summoned. Okay. My time, what's the reason? I mean, at the end of the day, you know it's his testimony, whatever. The inu mafik mamona apuma dechad, because even, you'll be a solitary witness, you saw the Jew borrow money, and in Dine Yisrael, 
uh, nobody would have paid money based on one witness. And they will accept one witness and they'll make him pay. Now the bottom line is, but he owes the money! Meaning it might be true that in terms of procedure, there are not two witnesses, but I genuinely know that the, that the Jew followed the money. But somehow, since he can either, because, either there, because he can win in a Jewish court, I should not be helping him win in a different legal system, even though objectively speaking he owes money. It's sort of like the discussion before about Afghasal Vaso. Or maybe it's just more the issue of I shouldn't be participating in a legal system that uh, doesn't follow like the Torah's halacha. Okay, but it's still very strange because the reality is he owes the money. Anyway, let's just fin- finish this. Velo Amrin El that's only if you are one witness of a betray loaf. You're two witnesses and you were summoned. Since the non-Jew would win in the Jewish court, you can also go and testify in the non-Jewish court. And even one, we didn't say, which Raji says it means like a village uh, you know, court, which does it based on one witness. Which Raji says it means like a larger governmental court. They also follow the type of Jewish law procedures and one witness they only impose an oath they don't actually extract money so therefore it is actually acceptable in that case you know because it's following the same thing as it would in Dina Yisrael again there's two questions one is helping you know just like like are you in trying to prevent the, 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 the help the Jew or help the non-Jew take money that they deserve or don't deserve or whatever and the other is the question about is there a general problem of participating in a non-Jewish legal system so let's just give me one more minute I just want to read to the Mishnah we're so far behind just take, literally take just one more minute so they, so, I'm sorry so Amar Avashi so Avashi said when I was in Avashi we have the following question Adam Chashuv let's say you're one witness but you're a very Chashuv a person you know somebody who they put a lot who has a lot of weight so and people trust you like two people, certainly the non-Jewish court. Um, do we say because of that, you know, you should not testify because they will use your single testimony and extract money even though you're only one witness and you shouldn't participate in a system that's going to extract money based on one witness. Or do we say, since you're such a chashav person, you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you avoid going to court. Like a normal person who avoids, you know, whatever. They don't care so much or they don't pay so much attention. But you, they've got their eye on you. So for your own self-protection, you have to go and, and, and testify. Okay, take it. We don't know. If a Jew sells a plot of land to a non-Jew who is, who, um, and it, the plot of land borders on another Jew's land. Right? So I've got land. You, David, this land abuts your land. And you would love to buy it because then you could ex- exceed your acreage, right? Having a big plot all in one place is great for you. And rather than giving you right of first refusal, I offer to the non-Jew. Okay? So, so the, so the seller is put in cheren. My time, why? The law of the neighboring field that you're supposed to give the guy right of first refusal. But we say, That doesn't apply when you're selling, when you're buying to and from a non-Jew, which is strange. Why shouldn't it? Okay. But anyway, no, rather the reason is that forget the idea of first refusal. Because I have a non-Jew now as your neighbor, you can say to me, obviously, I made 
Sarai. You're putting a lion right by my borders. Again, this reflects the idea that they thought the non-Jews were violent and Gazlanim and so on. So he's going to go ahead and he's going to encroach on my land. He's going to steal my crops. That's why. So the Mar says, so because it's about the concern that he might injure you or you know or steal from you, the, the sellers put in cherem until he accepts liability for any any loss. If I accept financial liability for the fact that he's your neighbor, then it's okay. And the laws of Dina de Mar Mitzvah, though, would not apply. That's a whole separate Baba Basra discussion. Okay, we will end here. Still, you know.